What's up, Commonwealth? Welcome back to this episode of the Bluegrass Soccer Cast. I'm, of course, your host, Mr. Jimmy Martin, and today we have another fantastic show for you. So, to kick it off, we're going to go to that same place we always go, right off the top. And this week, I want to talk about something that I know is a hotbed topic uh, within a lot of soccer communities here in America, and that is promotion and relegation. Now, I know what you're thinking. The U.S. In the United States doesn't have promotion and relegation, right? We know that. But here's some things to consider, right? Let's kind of talk about some of the history here. Why doesn't the U.S. have uh, promotion and relegation? So, you know, if you go all the way back, you know, into the, the late 80s, early 90s, you know, some of those smaller leagues that were founded, even ones that called themselves professional and were trying to market themselves as the leagues, they didn't have it. It wasn't written into the culture of the league and into the culture of American soccer, especially at that time. Fast forward to now, um, you look at the MLS, right? Uh, the MLS has what, is, what I'm dubbing a semi-closed system uh, where the owners don't want to see their investments deflate. They don't want to see their uh potential stifled just because the on the field performance isn't as good as some of their competitors. You know, I was reading an article recently um, that talked about is that semi-closed system um, against FIFA regulation? Uh, I don't quite think it is. I think there's enough wiggle room, you know, and if you look at clubs, you know, like Orlando City, like Minnesota United, uh, and some of the others that have come up into the league, you know, from, you know, USL championship or, or whatever, um, they do seem to have a somewhat of a opportunity for, you know, those USL championship, maybe even USL league one teams, uh, to move up into the MLS. Um, however, there's not a direct path, right? Like, you know, the top three in, the uh, USL champion don't automatically get promoted into the MLS. Thus, that me dubbing the title semi-closed. Uh, you know, a completely closed system where nobody is ever coming in or nobody's ever coming out, that would be a FIFA violation. Therefore, uh, you know, the MLS champion would not be able to compete in, um, you know, CONCACAF Champions League and all of that kind of stuff, all of those FIFA-sponsored tournaments. Uh, but because it's semi-closed, they do stay in compliance, even though it is a bit awkward, you know. Uh, another reason that we don't have promotion and relegation comes down to the lower-tier leagues, right? And there's a great um, Twitter account that actually follows a lot of those lower-tier soccer leagues and gives updates and stuff like that. Um, but you know, when we're talking about those lower tier leagues, we're really looking at, you know, the U UPSL and the Midwest premier league, uh, just to name a few, there are a whole bunch that are in that fourth and fifth tier of the, um, the U S pyramid soccer pyramid, you know, they really struggle with a lot of turnover, right? So let's just pull back to the, uh, Kentucky, Tennessee premier division where the Bowling green golden Lions play. There have been no less than probably 20 different teams in that league since I've started covering the Lions uh, last spring. You know, there have been, uh, there at one point there were two teams in Elizabethtown, 
Uh, now there are no teams in Elizabethtown. Uh, there have been multiple, th- <laughs> like no less than four or five different teams out of Nashville. There used to be two teams in that uh, division in Memphis. Now there are zero teams in that division from Memphis. Uh, I believe they went over to Nisa, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but, you know, so you see there's this constant turnover, right? And so that doesn't allow those lower level um, communities, those lower, uh, smaller population areas to really get a chance to get behind a team because they're there for a few weeks and then they're gone. So you can't expect, you know, a, a groundswell, a consistent year over year turnover um, for a, a team to build new fans and to build momentum when the teams are all around for one season, half a season, or less than that in the, the case of Alliance uh, out of Louisville. So so if we're going to have this promotion relegation system, a couple things that we need to think about, right? We need to really take time to grow our current smaller clubs, right? So for that, I'm specifically looking at like uh, BGFC. That club needs to really dive in and really start uh, getting more fans, getting more attention, growing their social media uh, so that they can really push forward. If you, you know, I mentioned the Midwest Premier League. If you look at a team like, um, what is it? The DeKalb City uh, team uh, that is in there, uh, you know, they have a really great college system where they work with Northern Illinois University soccer team, men's soccer team, and women um, to put a lot of those same players into the semi-professional realm um, so that they can get more experience, have something to do, but still stay in the community, right? So now as a community member, you can go watch the player play in the fall, and then you can go watch them in the late spring and summer, you know, and you don't have to leave town. So you can really build that connection. It's those kind of teams that, that I'm talking about here. They really need to foster that sense of community, dive in, get all the support of your, your community, and really push forward. You know, the the next thing that we need to do is we need to expand those clubs, right? So not only here in Kentucky do we need uh, several teams. <laughs> I'm, I'm stumbling over here just thinking of the possibilities. I mean, Pikeville needs a team. Uh, Moorhead needs a team. Uh, Owensboro needs a team. Paducah needs a proper team. Or Pumas needs to stay in... Uh, Paducah area, and then another team come into Mayfield or Murray area. Uh, You know, that's easy right there where you could add a whole bunch of teams to the UPSL, Kentucky, Tennessee, Premier Division. And I would think you'd be relatively successful. Uh, You know, bring back a team in E-Town. That community is growing like crazy. So you need to grow your current teams that are in the lower tier league. You need to expand those leagues to have more teams. And then we need, you know, the USL and maybe even the MLS, but we need the USL, USL one to expand even further, right? Uh, you need someone like uh, Bowling Green to go into the USL one. You need, you know, something like uh, an Owensboro or a Paducah to be like the champion of the UPSL. Uh, you know, those are kind of the things that we need to really invest in. So your current teams need to get bigger and need to improve. You need to 
establish new teams and help them grow. And then you also need the upper leagues to expand. If we could have all of those things happen, and, and I think we will to a certain extent, you know, over the next several years, you know, especially as we're looking at hosting the World Cup in a few years, um, I think then you could see promotion and relegation. And the place I see it uh, is not in the MLS. I do not see the MLS ever having promotion and relegation. I don't think that is in their system. I think they'll keep that semi-closed um, approach and just kind of add teams as they need to. You know, if there's an established team in a in a uh, uh, in a town, then I think you can add them. But I, I don't think they're going to continue to just add new teams um, without bringing somebody up, right? You know, if you look at someone like Detroit City, right? Uh, newest, a newer member to the uh, uh, USL champion. Um, that could be a city that could really get some momentum behind it and could push for the MLS. You know, Detroit has all the other major sports. Uh, why not have a, a soccer team as well? But I have heard some things um, from a source that I have within the USL that they are considering uh, promotion and relegation. Um, but only between the USL champion and the USL one. And, you know, for our state, right, we have a team in both. So we could eventually see Lexington playing in the champion uh, against Sacramento Republic. I mean, let's be honest, Sacramento is not going to be in the USL champion for very long. But, you know, that next great dynasty in um, the USL champion could play Lexington. You know, you could have Louisville... Um, hit the stumbling blocks and be down in the USL one all of a sudden. And, you know, Lynn family stadium is hosting much smaller matches and, you know, you really could, could see and feel that, um, potential hurt that could be placed on the club because of, uh, falling down a leak. So I think if it's going to happen, according to my source, uh, it would be between the USL and the US or the USL champion and the USL league one, you know, maybe eventually one day, uh, USL two evolves beyond their U23 team system. And, you know, that's when you bring in, uh, you know, a Bowling Green, uh, you know, you bring in uh, an Owensboro, an E-Town, a Paducah, that kind of a, a, a town, um, you know, Pikeville, that kind of a place comes into that USL two. Then we are really talking about, we, we would be a powerhouse state, um, as far as, uh, soccer goes, but that's just my thoughts on promotion relegation. I think we should have it. Um, but I don't have millions invested into a club that if I don't have the status that my current league has, that I could, you know, afford that loss. So kind of understand both sides, but with that, let's head to your favorite segment, the bottom line. Um, and I want to start with a little bit of history folks. Um, uh, this past weekend, um, history was made right here in, in the bluegrass um, by the big three men's teams that we have in the state. So Lou City, Lexington Sporting Club, and BGFC all got at least one point in all of their matchups. That is the first time in history that three clubs from this state have all earned points on the same weekend. So let's start with Lou City, right? Uh, they had a rebounding win. Uh, 1-0 over, like I mentioned earlier, newcomer Detroit City. Uh, maybe that's why I thought of them earlier. <laughs> um, but 
you know, I still have questions about him. Uh, I have questions about Onbi and uh, Musagul. Wow, I just butchered his name. Uh, why are they not on the field at the same time? You know, what is going on between them? What is going on between uh, the coach? Because I know it's one of the games I was at, um, Onbi and the, the coach of Blue City were yelling at each other on the sideline. What's up with that? I still think there is some kind of a chemistry issue in that locker room. And if you look at some of the comments from the coach and from the players after the game, uh, everything was about like, oh, this win is really going to help boost the locker room. Like, oh, like this is going to be really good for us. Like we needed this win. And to me, that just all points to some kind of a chemistry issue. Something's going on. So a good win. Glad they got it. But, you know, two wins in a row, really two wins in a week, um, you know, one uh, over uh, Lexington City in the U.S. Open Cup, um, and then the one over Detroit City, but it should have been more. They should have won both of those games better than 1-0 in both of them. Um, they have better talent. They have better um, scheme. You know, they have better home stadiums. Like, they should be obliterating these teams, and, you know, you picked up two wins by one goal each. That's just my opinion on, on how Lou City is doing. I'm glad they got the win. Again, two wins in a week. You'll see them uh, creep up in the power ranking, but I still think there's some issues. Uh, small side note on Lou City here. I do want to give a special shout-out to the Lou City U19 uh, team on winning the Dallas Cup, um, especially because they fought back from being down 1-0 in the second half uh, to actually win that game. So shout-out to those guys. Um, it was nice to see some faces of some players that had already been pulled up to the uh, the main team. Uh, so I'm really excited for them and, and glad that they got that win and, you know, bringing the championship back to, to Louisville. But now I want to shift over to Lexington as they had their home opener this past weekend, the debut, and it was a great atmosphere. Um, the game was, was okay. Uh, you know, a historic first points in club history, but it was a nil-nil draw, right? Um, great turnout. The fans were into it the entire game. Um, there were a couple of times, you know, so I was in the press box for that game. Uh, there were a couple of times that, you know, Lexington would get a really good opportunity and you would literally hear that stadium shaking. Um, it was quite powerful to see. It was really awesome to be in the stadium for that game. I really thought they were going to get a goal. Um, they had several chances. Um, I would argue that they probably had the better chances, but you know, forward Madison played tough defense, had a good keeper in that night. Uh, and they, they kept it, uh, they kept it even. Speaking of keepers though, Lexington, y'all got a competition. Um, <laughs> uh, I know that your, your starting keeper has been out with, uh, the Jamaican national team. Um, uh, but the, the kid that was in the pipes the other night, uh, he's pretty good. <laughs> he made some some good saves, uh, and I think he has a bright future. You know, not that your uh, your biggest signing of the offseason and one of your best players um, isn't gonna to live up to hype. But you know, I think that there's a competition there, and I think it could really help both players. You know, I I have a lot of faith in Lexington. Um, I like what 
what they're doing. They're building the team in the right way. Let's just hope that they can keep it going. So then uh, we're going to close out the, the bottom line talking about BGFC. Uh, they had a 1-1 draw uh, at the St. Louis Fusion. Um, so this is, was a trip that was kind of changed a couple of times, right? So this game was originally supposed to be played on Sunday, which was Easter Sunday. Um, and obviously both teams did not want to play on a Sunday. So they got it rescheduled first to Saturday night, which then got rescheduled again to like middle of the day on Saturday. Um, it was not the most entertaining game to, to follow along with, uh, BGFC had several players that couldn't make the trip. Um, uh, and that's a long trip, uh, for BGFC. You know, they don't have a, a travel company. They don't have a bus. Um, to take them from city to city or anything like that. It's on the individual players to actually get them to the games. So it it, it can be a challenge for some of those longer trips from Bowling Green to St. Louis. That's a four-hour trip. You know, that can be a lot of money, a lot of time. You know, again, people have to work, stuff like that. So, you know, I, I want to see more consistent travel teams uh, from the Golden Lions. You know, when they're at home, they are really good. And they can beat just about anybody in in their league at home. Um, but it's when you go on the road that they really have some challenges. Uh, so, you know, I really hope that moving forward, they can kind of tighten that up, you know, build some more chemistry amongst the lads and, and get them to be more comfortable to where they can offer rides to each other so that, you know, the team doesn't have to just settle for a 1-1 draw uh, against, you know, not that great of an opponent when they could have won 2-1 or 3-1 uh, at worst. But that's just my opinion. And with that, we'll close out uh, the bottom line for this week, and we will head to our interview. Uh, this week, we actually have something that was not previously recorded uh, a year ago, almost. Uh, we did an interview a couple of weeks back with the Vice President of Communications for Louisville City, uh, Jonathan Littner. And we had a great conversation about all things related to Lou City. I will send it back to my previous me for more. The team right now out west, right now on their their west coast swing to start the season. What's the mood around the facilities like this week? I mean, it, it's always good to start with a win. Um, for us, you know, around the facility, when I think about the office staff and things, it's it's odd to always start with a road game because you don't get to see the team in person. Uh, so we we all have March 25th circled on our calendars. There's obviously one game to go this weekend before uh, the team is back home, but that's that's what we're, I would say, in large part working toward. And when you know the team's already got three points on the board, uh, you know everybody's in a pretty good mood, right? Hopefully six by the time they get back, right? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Jonathan, I I want to start you know by asking some questions about you and kind of letting our not audience know a little bit more you about you. Um, so talk to me about kind of where you're from and what role did soccer play in your life growing up? Uh, soccer had no role in my life growing up. Um, I'd say honestly, same. I, I played one year in grade school of co-ed soccer. Um, <laughs> I was horrible. Um, but I, I will, I, I think later have a factoid I can share on that experience though, that uh -oh. is relevant to our conversation. So, um, yeah, I'm from Louisville, uh, went to Trinity High School, went to Western Kentucky uh, for college. Right. Yeah, WKU 
Yeah. Maybe. Well, okay. So I'll get, I'll get to my factoid then. Uh, so on my, my fourth grade team, we were the St. Albert, the great Vikings and our nice. goalkeeper, um, was Libby Stout who went on to set like oh, every yeah. keeping record for, for Western Kentucky. So, um, I was working at the student paper there and, um, you know, sports editor and, you know, it was like every week something would come across my desk about Libby Stout. So that was, that was always interesting. Um, she was, she was very scary back then. So I, I, <laughs> I didn't want to score against her back then. And I think that that, that carried her through her whole career. So, uh, we still see Libby around here. She's actually involved with our W league program in the USL, which Good. is, um, you know, when you talk path to pro, that's like the not semi-professional, but it's like that step right before you become a pro. So college, summer soccer, basically Libby is involved in that team here. So I still see her around. And um, yeah, as, as far as my career, like I said, went to Western, studied journalism. Um, okay, that was the most the Newspaper business. Um, the newspaper business is not doing so great. So What? Uh, <laughs> yeah. You're telling the guy who's just not getting into media that this isn't a, this isn't a great business to be in? Media is different uh okay. when i say newspaper i mean i mean you know printing something printing yesterday's news to have people read it today is not it's surprisingly not going very well in the era where um you know people have their phones and whatnot so um i covered little city basically from day one um got a random facebook message from someone who said they were the president of a group called the coopers in 2014 and <laughs> there was going to be a meeting between owners of a soccer club from Orlando that I had never heard of and people from Louisville that I had never heard of. And it was just going to be at a bar. And so I went and I showed up and it turns out it was legit. And so I ended up writing about what became to be called Louisville city. Uh, but that was an interesting journey that, that, you know, I covered the club and eventually they said, why don't you come work for us? And so, um, that's, that's kind of the path that I took. Well, so I kind of wanted to dive in a little bit about that because I'm very similar to you. I played American football. Um, through high school, I was not very good. Like I was, I was really bad. Like my junior year, I was a starter and our team went winless. So that's how good I, of a right tackle I was. Uh, but I, I played just a little in college. I started an intramural team and like really fell in love with the sport. So it's, you know, kind of similar to you in that perspective, but something I never knew until Lou city started was about the culture in Louisville and about how deep those soccer ties really are in that city. So, you know, and since you were there from pretty much the very beginning, kind of talk to me about where did this passion for soccer come from in such a basketball, American football, boxing, baseball heavy town? Yeah, I mean, I'll say from my perspective, it felt like growing up there were a lot of kids who played soccer. Um, mm -hmm. We had clubs like Javanon and Mockingbird yeah. deal, but I always felt like you had you know, probably people like me that just kind of played everything, whatever your parents signed you up for, football, baseball, basketball. And then you had like soccer kids and it felt like a more specialized sport. So okay. I knew there were a lot of them um, and didn't necessarily even growing up know about club soccer um, in terms of professional because, you know, what was MLS back then, um, you know, but a few teams, there was there was really no USL. And I'm, I'm talking probably 20 plus years ago, right? Right. So, um but there were a lot of kids playing soccer and, and one of the, the good points that one of the Louisville city owners made to me, and I think this is probably before I even worked for the club, but attendance was really strong the first season. You know, they had like 5,000 and change at the first game. They were getting eight, 9,000, um, for, for some of these games at a baseball stadium. And I'm like, where do y'all come from? 
you know, if you think about it, they always think about the younger generation. And he said, well, Jonathan, you know, somebody had to sign those kids up for soccer. And so mm-hmm. somehow, somewhere, um, you know, probably a little younger than boomer generation, but you know, there was an interest that, that was sparked from soccer here. And, and it seems like it's, it's a multi-generational thing. And, and I don't know that, that Lowell city necessarily knew that going in. I, I knew that when they started a club that they had an idea that there was a, a an organized supporter group, but what'll that get, you know, 500, 600 people to game where are the other 6,000 going to come from. And right. I don't know. I, it was a surprise for sure. Um, to, to see that sort of support from the beginning, from the community. Um, and, and certainly that doesn't happen in every market that just sprouts up and starts a soccer team. So, um, I think a, a lot of factors came together and, and they sort of like unearthed this unknown, uh, you know, kind of, kind of fever for soccer here. Yeah. It was like, it's like they tapped into like a subculture almost like mm-hmm. it was there and it was very prevalent, but nobody knew it was there. Right. And they didn't know how big it was way. for sure. Right. I'll say, cause like I said, I mean, it, it was, you had your kids and you had soccer kids. And now I feel like 20 years later, uh, for me to be in my thirties, soccer is right there with football, baseball, and basketball in terms of youth sports. So I feel like now every kid plays soccer and it makes you think about what are the ramifications of that going to be another 20 years down the road when you look at how competitive we can be in the World Cup on the national team right. level and what it's going to mean for club soccer because it's complete, completely transformed. Well, and with, you know, 2026 hosting the World Cup, you know, I, I would hope that at least Louisville could get like a, a friendly between, I don't know, Germany and uh, Japan, something like that. You know, like that would be really good, I think, for the city, just as like a warm-up precursor kind of a thing. What are your thoughts on, on what that World Cup impact could do in Louisville? Yeah, I mean, for us, uh, you know, immediately, I, I think about our facilities that we have here. Um, and, and, you know, I know you throw out Germany and Japan. Those are, are two pretty big federations, but maybe there's somebody of a size where they say, you know, we'll train in Louisville or we'll make our base in Louisville. Um, you, you know, it's going to be the summer of 26. And if you want to prepare for warm weather and the different obstacles you will face, you might as well come here where it's also really humid and get used right. to that. So, um, we have fields start in May and yeah, you know, start getting that feeling. Yeah. We have fields, we have locker rooms, we have a stadium, uh, we have everything that I think a, a club, would need. And, and I think even before 26, you'll see that, um, play to our advantage. For instance, we, we have our first international friendly this summer, uh, for Louisville city against a, a club from Germany. They'll come in and it's, I it's, not know that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't even want to like butcher the name FC Kaiserslautern. <laughs> um, they're in Bundesliga too, but I think going back a little while, um, they, they have won Bundesliga before. So, uh, they're coming here on June 21st and they'll be using our facilities and we've had uh, a tournament on the racing global side called the women's okay. cup that yeah. has brought um tottenham is it the she believes cup right uh well this is separate this is like an oh, in okay. uh club tournament so we had mm-hmm. byron and psg come here in 2021 and then last year tottenham was part of the group that came they, they've been using our facilities and so I think we will build a reputation as a place that if you need somewhere to train in America, um, why not come to Louisville and do it? So I think that's part of the impact that 2026 can have on us. And then I think when you talk about just reverberations of what that can mean, I I just think it's going to build a lot of recognition of 
us having a team here that you can root for and what maybe club soccer means versus what people associate other minor league sports to be. Uh, you know, because Louisville City started playing in the baseball stadium here, there's a lot of association of like, they'll say it's minor league and our fans will say, no, it's second division. Okay, what's the difference, right? Well, the difference is all the players are under contract with us. They're not just trying to get called up. I mean, they would love, I'm sure, to go play in the first division somewhere. Oh, yeah. While they're here, the goal is to win a championship and to represent the city and to be a part of the community. And so I think that the World Cup will put a magnifying glass on those differences and people will start to see why this is something that, that they should get behind and that is something that's like hyper-local but also has all these links to what is a, a larger ecosystem of, of soccer around the world. Absolutely. So I want to pull it back just a little bit because I, I have two theories about Lucidity in general, and I think we're going to get to them, but the first one being um, I want to know what really inspired the club's crest and colors, like the original one, not the, the one that you know we don't talk about, the second iteration that very quickly went away, but the, the original version. And the, the main question that I have is about the color purple. Was that color intentional because it's red and blue mixed together and knowing the city of Louisville, or am I just reading too much into it? So I think that was, that was unintentional, uh, but it does work that way because I always say like, I, I'm a UofL fan. Um, one side of my family, I feel like is all UofL. The other side is mostly UK. Um, I don't go to games with my UK family members. Like that's just not something that we can do, but you know, you could go to a Louisville city game. And I've always said that's a, a really good addition just just to to maybe relieve some of that tension for the families here that uh um you know christmas can be awkward when you've got UK <laughs> playing on december 26th right so um there's that but the the purple comes from orlando city so they were, was the they were in usl and the franchise was actually shifted to louisville so there was a, a guy named wayne estopinol who was from new albany right across the river from louisville um he was a healthcare architect who also had a love of soccer and he for instance was the architect behind um i'll call it uh, little lynn stadium over at the university of louisville yeah and he was a board member somehow i'm not sure what his link was to a former club called the austin aztecs that became orlando city and the usl so he was a board member of this club and when orlando city went to mls they had to sell or move or get rid of their usl franchise and wayne's link to louisville was what brought that here so wayne was the original chairman of the club uh, was the face of the club from an ownership perspective um i forget the year it's it's been a few years but wayne uh, he, he tragically passed away in a plane accident a few years ago and so that's why if you're at our stadium and you see the closed end of the stadium it's called the estopinol end so it has his name on it and that that's what that name means, and and that's why Louisville City is purple. And then you touched on the original logo, which was like the combination of the skyline and the barrel. It had a lot going on. Love that logo. Uh, they actually Wayne opened a design contest for that, and people could submit like what they wanted the logo to look like. And I remember because I was at the Courier Journal, like covering this process, and it got mocked a little bit um, because people were like, "Why don't you just?" pay a designer to do this, but they're like, we want our community to decide what our crest looks like. And so they, they whittled it down and it was at halftime of one of the world cup games in 2014. We had a watch party in town here and they like 
unveiled it to the crowd and um you know from then on that that was the logo until um we got to what what is on your hat today uh, which is i would say a much more simple streamlined version and the idea there is that when you sit that next to racing global's logo that they kind of complement each other and their their simplicity and the use of the florida lee and the you know the x um you know all that good stuff keep having to look back and like oh yeah there is like an x there because like i want to be completely honest like i i'm a fan of loose city but i don't know very many of the players i've never mm -hmm. been to a match and you know it's just been one of those things where you know I've moved around a lot in my life. Like I'm from Western Kentucky, but I've spent time outside of Chicago. I've spent time in Iowa. I've spent time in Lexington. Like I've spent, and I've spent my time in Appalachia. Like I've been all over the place. So I've never been close enough to Louisville to be able to give it the attention that it deserves. So when, if you see me looking over, if you're watching this and it's like, oh yeah, that that's what I'm looking at. <laughs> uh, uh, I'll say, I think, I think what we, um, have had to grapple with a little bit that, you know, the club is called Louisville city. So I think from people outside of the city, it's like, how do I build an association with this? Is this for me? And then they come in and they see what soccer culture is and it's, it's, yes, it's for everyone. Uh, and, and so we have steadily over time grown. I think that that fan base that reaches out into the region, but also on the racing Louisville side, you know, we're blessed to have one of the 12 NWSL franchises in the entire country. Right. And so Chicago being the next closest thing, if you're in Nashville, Cincinnati, St. Louis, Evansville, Lexington, et cetera, you're coming here if you want to watch professional women's soccer. And we've had Megan Rapino, Alex Morgan, Christian Press, anybody who is anybody on the national team has played here in the last couple of years. So um, we are able to to reach outside of Louisville in that regard for sure. Yeah, you know, and especially with racing Louisville and, you know, that league being as small as it is and as controversial as it has been, um, you know, there, there seems to be a huge push for, uh, the USL women's league and we're going to have a team in that, right? Uh, so we have a team in the W league, uh, the w league, yeah, is the pre-professional, um, there will be what's called the super league and, and they're, they're, they're following naming conventions of Europe. So that's why our league is the USL championship. It used to be called like just USL pro. Um, so USL championship to match EFL championship in England, uh, USL women's super league to match the English super league, which is the top division of women's soccer over there. So, um, that's what the USL is starting, um, actually in August of 24, uh, and they are going to run their season concurrent with the European calendar. So they really think they can get into the transfer market. Um, and, and they'll be, it'll be interesting to watch because right now, if you want to be a women's professional soccer player, you have to be one of the top 200 players, maybe at the most in America. Um, there's just not enough clubs. So yeah. I think that now this will make professional women's soccer actually a viable option for more people. And so I think it's going to, you know, drastically improve the player pool depth and, you know, that will trickle up into the NWSL because there's probably players who are capable of playing professional soccer that don't even think it's an option because of how few roster spots there are in the country. So uh, that'll be that'll be interesting to watch. Uh, we won't be part of that. I think the franchise over in Lexington has some interest in that. Um, so we'll see. <laughs> yeah. 
uh, stick to the the Bluegrass Soccer Cast for more information on Lexington <laughs> Sporting Club here in the next couple of weeks. Um, so, you know, shifting back to, to Lou City here, what have been some of the biggest challenges in the first, you know, because really it's still a very young club, right? Like two championships, but still a very young club, right? So what have been some of the challenges, you know, from your perspective that the club has faced so far? In the early days, it was definitely the stadium situation, um, not just the the field, you, you know, being in a baseball stadium where, you know, one of the goals, essentially the, the, the goal area was a mix of turf and grass, so not ideal. Uh, but the fact that they were sharing it with the minor league baseball team here, the AAA bats, who are the, the affiliate of the Reds, you know, you, you don't get your first choice of dates. Um, you know, there are certain weekends that are just blocked off uh, due to, you know, them having a series. So you don't get the, the revenue potential of, of sponsorship and signage and all that stuff. And so from the beginning, it was always, you know, you need to get enough support to build a stadium here. Um, and, and that was both enough support to get some help from the city. Um, now, the, the intention was never to have the city fund the stadium. Uh, the owners always knew it was going to be a private investment, but the city did help in terms of land acquisition and essentially what I would call some loans that are being paid back over time. Um, either from the ownership's pockets here or through, uh, you know, tax increment financing, you know, just the, the money that's generated off the stadium land. So um, that all came together and, and that was that was the main challenge. That was, um, you know, is this going to sink or swim? Was can you build a stadium and, you know, essentially become self-sustaining as opposed to losing money every year? So right. um, the biggest challenge I think has been overcome and then the second, I don't know if this isn't something that people really talk about it, but it's something that I think about quite a bit is that that stadium was supposed to open in April of 2020. Uh, the game was already sold out. And, you know, if you get one sellout, you'll get another and another and another. Mm -hmm. And instead that all disappeared. And we wound up opening the stadium in 2020 at like 30 something percent capacity uh, due to the COVID pandemic. So it took us until... August of last year that we actually sold out a game. So I think it was just a hit to the momentum and the excitement. Um, you know, I've been in a couple meetings recently where people say like, why isn't every game sold out? Or you look at markets that are starting MLS franchises and all the buzz around them, like St. Louis this year, Nashville in recent years, FC Cincinnati in recent years. And Inter Miami, come on now. Yeah, well, maybe not. That. <laughs> they don't necessarily. MLS team. Yeah, no, I know. I'm thinking of like comparable, like Midwest kind of markets where it just seems to take over and have all this momentum. And I'm like, we had that, but then the pandemic happened and it, it was just harder, I think, for us to build back because there's maybe not the same amount of, you know, just, I don't know, buzz around USL as there would be around MLS. So I, I think that that has been a challenge that we've had to to overcome as well. So obviously the stadium thing, you've, you've mastered that, you know, and for some of my experience down here uh, with the club in Bowling Green, you know, if you're playing in a baseball stadium, that cost to transition the field from one sport to the other is way higher than anything that I ever would have imagined. So, you know, I understand that is a huge challenge, but, you know, now we're past that. Mm -hmm. How do you kind of recapture that magic? I mean, obviously winning and going to the Eastern Conference Final no, the championship game last year, right? Yeah, yes, your conference champs. Yeah, um, how do you recapture the audience in that way? 
Uh, I, th I think we've just had to, to get creative. I think we've gotten better at marketing. So in the early days of Blue City, I mean, we were very much built on um, the product on the field. Um, we, we wanted to, you know, market this thing as a winning soccer club, not just a soccer club. Right. Um, luckily, we won, so <laughs> that made it a little bit easier. Um, but I think over time, you know, you, you get all the soccer folks out and then you, you look around and you say, okay, well now we've still got some empty seats. How do we fill them? And, and I think we've gotten a little more creative with our, our marketing promotions, themes around games. Uh, one of our biggest successes last year was, uh, we called it pups at the pitch and people could bring their dog to the game and they, you know, they could only be in a certain area, but, um, it was funny to announce, you know, attendance of, of 11,000 and change and 307 dogs. So uh, right. just some more fun things like that to engage the community. Uh, you know, last year we, I think we're, we're still very much learning how to um, not just have a stadium, but how to make the most of it. And so we have this out front, we have a mini pitch and we have um, like a green space out there. And we, we took that and we built a fence around it that, you know, every other day, the fence is open. People can come in and play soccer on game day. We fence that in and we call it our fan zone. And so you've got inflatable games for the kids and you can play on the mini pitch. We have $2 beers pregame. So just trying to build some attractions like that. That uh, Now you're making me feel bad that I've never been because $2 beers, let's go. <laughs> yeah, just trying to, to build some attractions for people who maybe don't care as much about what's going on in the field or don't care yet because we like to get them there and then get them to fall in love with it. So, you know, with all of that, what is the future of Blue City? You know, is the ownership group looking to eventually maybe go MLS? Are we very happy with the USL and, you know, maybe with USL doing relegation? What is the future of, of Blue City? Yeah, it, it's a great question. Um, maybe better answered by different owners, right? I, I think <laughs> we have a local ownership group that that everybody might think something differently, but I, I know the ambition is there. Um, the stadium's maybe. there. Yeah, the, the facilities are there, the ambition's there, the, the club structure is all there. Um, you know, I think we will reach as high as we can. And, and you know, you can't say it's a failure if we don't go to MLS because I don't think that's fully within our control. Right. Uh, and, and I think for some of our fans here, they're like, please don't go to MLS because they know that means probably a different ownership structure and a, a less local feeling club. So there's there's pros and cons to both of those things. But I think in the meantime, the line that we've always used is let's be the best second division club we possibly can be. And and really, I don't think about us as a second division club. I just think of us as a club that plays in second division and, you know, on the field, off the field, let's be, you know, if you're not talking about MLS and those 30, 32 teams, like let's be the next best one that everybody's like, that's the model. And, and that's what we want to be able to do because, you know, quite frankly, a lot of people have tried to replicate what Louisville City has done, and they're not having a lot of success. Um, you know, you, you get the promotion relegation crowd, and they're like, well, a team like Louisville City should be promoted. And it's like, okay, now let's get five, six, seven teams down in the conference in USL, and they don't have the stadium, they don't have the infrastructure that we have. So, you know, we're very much still an exception in many regards, and, and I think we want to keep it that way by feeling, you know, elite and at least the, the the competition that we do face. And it's funny you mentioned that. I was literally watching a video yesterday about like the USL champion stadiums and it's not even a contest. Like we by far have the best stadium. Mm -hmm. Like in my opinion, not even close. You know, some of the other ones are really good. 
some of them are even slightly newer, but like ours looks professional. It feels professional. Um, so yeah, I don't know. That's, that's just an interesting way to think that, about it. That seems like the next step for the league. Uh, so they, they came here last year for what they called their USL summer showcase. It was essentially like our league doesn't do an all-star game. So they're going right. to pick like a, a matchup of two historically strong clubs, have them play on a Wednesday night. It gets on ESPN and then they have the league leadership, um, and, and someone from every club come here for meetings and things surrounding the game. So one of the big talking points that came out of that was, you know, now that in the USL you have, you know, they've gotten rid of the two teams from MLS. Um, they got out. So down to 24 real clubs, independent clubs. And in league one, you have another, what, 10, 12, 13. Yeah. That's not very many. Yeah. But, but I mean, 10 years ago, independent clubs, you had like less than 10 outside of MLS. So you've seen tremendous growth in that area, but it seems like the next step is now, okay, we have all these clubs and what is the path to them all building a stadium? Um, they don't all have to look like Lynn family stadium or be as large or be as expensive, but to make sure that these places are sustainable, um, get them in their own venues where they can control dates. And, and if they feel like they're going to get a larger crowd because it's 4th of July and they can have fireworks, they need to be able to do that. Not say, well, we got to go on the road because the baseball team that we share this field with, they want to be home and they want to do the fireworks. So, um, I think Memphis has that problem, just kind of in our geographical area, right? Yeah. And they, they are among the teams, Memphis, Indy, um, are the two, I think that have renderings out for stadium plans at this point. And now it's just a matter of kind of figuring out how to make that a reality. Um, I think Knoxville has some sort of stadium plan, but they might be sharing with a, a baseball team permanently. I'm, I'm that one, I don't know either one, one not quite sure on, but, um, yeah, that, that seems to be the, the league's next push is get everybody into a soccer specific stadium. And, and I think that, you know, the game can, can keep booming from there. And you mentioned something that I, I'm completely off my script, by the way, like this is just a good conversation at this point. Um, you know, talk to me about exposure, right? Like if you look at like college football, for example, um, everybody is trying to get new media deals, trying to get, you know, as much in front of the public as possible with the MLS's deal with Apple TV only. Mm-hmm. I mean, there, are, yes, there are some exceptions where Fox gets what, 15 games a year or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, what has changed with the champion contract with ESPN to get more exposure, if any? Well, this is an interesting time to talk about that because the USL did just announce that all their games would be back on ESPN plus this year. But I think mm-hmm. there was a little bit of a question mark. Um, yeah. I know they have shopped those rights a little bit and I'm not privy to any of those details, but sure. it does seem like the future either could mean more money from ESPN or going somewhere else. Um, you know, I think you see places starting to get creative, starting to get into soccer. Um, the, the U S open cup will be on um, bleacher report, which I think is, um, going to stream them oh, on. I did, they, I did see that. I believe that's part of U.S. Soccer's contract with HBO and Turner. But um, and that's another the YouTube Report. page, right? Yeah, and the, you know the Bleacher Report brand has been used in the past with the, the Champions League coverage um, that was on on Turner, TBS, and TNT. So um, you see places trying to get into soccer. So I, I like ESPN Plus because I feel like a lot of people have it, and a lot of people have it for soccer specifically. So. You've got the FA Cup on there. You've got Bundesliga on there. Um, there's there's a lot of soccer that that's on ESPN Plus. La Liga is on there. So, um, the fact that soccer people have it, I think it's a good spot for the USL Championship because 
what are those people watching in the summer? Um, right. You know, we're kind of their only option. So um, I think that's a good place to be. But over time, I, I think the the USL will continue to push and try to get a bigger deal, get more national TV exposure. Um, we have two of the, you know, I will say that, but a couple handfuls of ESPN2 games this year. We have the first one, right, with Correct. Miami FC? Yep, May 13th. That'll be a home game. And then I think it's July 19th-ish. We're at, at Detroit on ESPN. So, um, you know, two good stadiums, two good environments. I think when people watch those games, they're like, oh, what, you know, what is this? And then they look into it, and it, it looks like legitimate professional sports. So um, there, there's it feels like it's more and more every year. Um, you know, what MLS is doing with Apple is – I think super exciting. I love the product. Um, I've never watched more MLS than I have when it's on Apple, just because it looks good, sounds good. I can't video show for the price, though, man. Yeah, I I bit the bullet. I was like, again, what am I going to watch all summer? So I'm going to watch this. Um, I like that they have their their windows when you know when to tune in. Like, there's going to be yeah. an afternoon game. There's going to be seven thirty, eight thirty, ten thirty. So um, I think they're getting a lot of things right there. Um, I don't know if that's going to be the fit for USL. Maybe something. A little more accessible um you know outside of a, a bigger bigger price but um there's i think some lessons to be learned from what what mls is doing yeah and you know there are a lot of folks who don't have that context of like okay well how do i switch from this app to that app and you know mainly for those conversations you're talking about you know the college football college basketball kind of scenarios but i wouldn't want it to be a scenario where it's you know Amazon has USL champion, ESPN has USL one, uh, MLS is on Apple TV and you're, you're just trying to bounce around everything. So I'm, I'm with you. I would really like for, for ESPN to step up and, and grab those rights, you know, hopefully they can do that. Maybe I'll get somebody from the USL on to talk about that. That'd be a, that'd be a good show. I, I might know some people. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I will say the, the other thing about USL that's always been great for us is that they allow us to have our own local deals. So the game might be on ESPN Plus, but since 2017, every game that's not on national TV, so ESPN2, we have had on our local airwaves here. So, um, you know, we have a broadcast partnership for for TV and radio here. Which is great. Mm -hmm. So I'll kind of pull us back on onto the script here. Uh, I want to talk about the 2023 season. Mm -hmm. uh, we talked about it from the start. Uh, first place that I want to go is the Open Cup and that matchup against mm -hmm. Lexington. That is going to be a beautiful opportunity for both clubs to compete on the same playing field. And I have a question for you. What do you think we will name this rivalry? I have a suggestion, but I want to see if there are other things on the radar. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm a day one. Um, I, I love puns, so... When I saw that, and I, when I, when we saw that Lexington was going to have a club, um, you know, USL let us know, like, hey, they're announcing a club. Can you support this on social media? I think we we immediately posted and called it, you know, Kentucky Derby, just because I think that oh, okay. resonates with people. Dang, and I've seen the other nicknames, but it's like, man, if you're in Louisville and you're going to play around April and you want to get people to like be like, what do you mean Kentucky Derby soccer? And it, it just, I don't know. I think it's a good conversation point, but um, I, I that's better than mine. It, in the end, in the end, you want to go with what the supporters call it, right? So, um, you know, we've made a few, a few puns about it, but I, we have not like properly named the game by any means. Well, so my suggestion was going to be the I sixty four Derby, but no, the the Kentucky Derby is is way better. 
Now, I'm, I'm not trying to get like a cease and desist from Churchill Downs or anything. So <laughs> every time we've typed it, it's like Kentucky is capitalized, Derby is not. So it's just a Kentucky Derby. It's not the Kentucky Derby. Oh, there you go. And hey, get like a trademark kind of term or anything. So um, <laughs> you know, if, if, if the powers to be at Churchill Downs are watching this, we're, we're not trying to infringe. <laughs> we love our friends at Churchill Downs. Um, so kind of looking at the at the rest of the season, what are some of the, the key matchups? We talked about the TV games, but what are some of the games that you are really looking forward to? I mean, you always look forward to the home opener, um, but I think outside of that, uh, we have some other big games that, that come pretty early. Um, you know, it looks like, I think just by virtue of Detroit having a big fan base, um, having a maybe callous sort of fan base uh, uh, uh our, uh, our uh, folks like to go back and forth with them so we have them in on april 8th and then the next weekend april 15th is the big one where san antonio comes to louisville um, they obviously beat us in the final last season so that's going to be you know a revenge game sort of storyline uh, and then looking at the rest of the year i think the other two home games that pop out are july 29th against indy 11 um, that's what we call our fill the fam game uh, we did that last year, and we had fourteen thousand and change sellout. Uh, Jack Harlow was there, so it was a lot of things teamed together um, for, for that game. So we'll do that again in the in the summer before everybody goes back to school. And then I believe it's the finale, or it might be the second. It's the yeah regular season finale. Uh, Tampa Bay is here, so when you talk about a game that could decide, you know, number one seed or supporter shield type of of game, uh, that that could be a really big one late in the season. So if you have to pick one, and I'm going to put put my thumb on it. Oh, it's San Antonio for sure. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, for obvious reasons, but it's also like that's the time of year the weather starts to get better and it's, yeah. you know, it's light out a little later. And, and so people are going to go out and do something. And I think that that can be a really big one. So, I don't know, last question about this season. What are we thinking? Are we going to make another run to the Eastern Conference Finals into the the championship game? Or what are we looking at? Uh, I mean, I try not to jinx it every year because somehow they've made it to the conference final, um, well, like eight straight seasons, which yeah. is just unbelievable sort of thing. And, and like one day it will end, but I, I hope it doesn't with this team because you know, we've got 21 players back from last year. That's a, a league record. And, and we weren't just bringing guys back because yeah. they were under contract or because it was the easy thing to do. I, I think we brought back 21 guys that, you know, expect to – make big contributions. And then on top of that, you add in some of the new signings. Uh, we know we brought in Dylan Maris from El Paso. He scored a career high 10 goals last year. Uh, great attacking midfielder, great on set pieces. Um, he didn't even get to start last weekend. So I think that yeah. speaks to the depth of this team. Um, and then other newcomers to watch, uh, Rasmus Tellefsen. Uh, he's from Denmark. He helped his club get first their promotion to first division. In Denmark last season, I think he scored three goals in their final four games. They got promoted. Um, club was not doing so great this year in the first division, so he started looking around, and that's how he landed to us. Uh, so he did start last weekend. He was one of the the newcomers in the lineup. So I think we've taken a super strong core of, honestly, like USL Championship legends in, in many cases when you talk about the Cameron Lancasters and Pablo Del Piccolos and Niall McCabe's of the world and you know, continue to surround. Come on now. Don't yeah, help me. Yes, yeah, and and you continue to surround them with, I think, pretty ambitious signings that that really raise the level here. So, 
we feel pretty good and 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 the goal is, is clear that that we want to win the whole thing this year and it's good to be able to routinely go into a season and and be able to say you know this isn't a rebuilding year uh, this isn't a bridge year like you know we want to win the whole thing absolutely all right jonathan where can the people find out more about loose city start at loose uh, you know we're on every every social media platform obviously uh including tiktok we're trying to do some more on tiktok hey <laughs> i have a tiktok too and nah, i don't know man it's, i know it's everybody difficult. says that and then you open it and it, it it'll change your life i love tiktok now so <laughs> <laughs> so we're, we're doing a little more on there but uh no I, th- I think the main thing is and i'll say this because uh you're you're at western and, and maybe you'll you'll get some student listenership if you were a student it is very cheap to come to our games it's eight dollars a game $8 per game or $5 rate for season tickets. So I like to put that out there whenever I can. Uh, you know, when you talk about the next generation of soccer supporter, we're, we're trying to build it right here. Um, so if you were a student, high school, college, whatever, come check out a game. It's it's cheap, it's fun, and you'll find that this team is super accessible. And we are back. Uh, that was a great conversation. You know, I know Jonathan really um, cares about his job, and he cares about making sure that Lou City is one of the best um, in the country. So I really appreciate him taking the time for that conversation and really helping open up uh, the doors for us to come in and cover that team. But with that, we'll close out today's show. Um, again, thank you all so much for watching and supporting the show. It means a lot. Uh, make sure you're following us on all of our socials, uh, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at BG SoccerCast. Uh, make sure you give us a listen on all of our Uh, platforms where this podcast is available, such as Spotify, Google, YouTube, and others. Uh, Make sure you hit subscribe, follow, share, do all those great things to help make the, the channel and the platforms grow as large as they can. And this is Jimmy, signing off.